Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. This week, we are continuing our series on the brain and fear. This is part two. But before we get started, I'm going to start with my personal update. My personal update is just, it is a gorgeous autumn right now. It's a time of year where um, all the leaves are turning and it just looks so beautiful. And my daughter and I, my youngest daughter and I went um, hiking the other day at Cooper's Rock State Forest and we hiked the Raven's Rock Trail which is a bunch you're hiking on a bunch of rocks to get up a big to a very very large grouping of rocks that overlook a huge chasm valley and it it was just beautiful and it was in the 40s so it kind of really felt like fall wearing our sweaters and our layers And I don't know about you, I just, I had this kind of self-realization recently that I feel guilty if I'm not outside when it's nice. And nice to me has many, many variations. Like I will walk when it's above the 20s and I look outside and I'm like, I should be out there, which sometimes makes it difficult to concentrate on the work I'm doing. Do you have any of those things like you wonder where that came from? I know when I was growing up, we spent a lot of time outside and I kind of think that's it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as I can hone it in and say, you know what? Yes, it is really nice out today, but I have to do some other things before I go out there. For example, today I'm recording on a Sunday afternoon, which I rarely do. But because of my upcoming schedule this week, I'm not going to be able to record at my normal time. And it's sunny and leaves are beautiful. And I just want to go for a hike around the lake. So we'll see. Okay, enough of my rambling. And the community update. I feel like I could just put this one on repeat. The most listened to episode is still How to Stunt the growth of anxiety in your child. So I think this is a good series to kind of follow that up. But another really interesting thing, looking at our geographical stats, we've had listeners from Moldova. Six new listeners from Moldova, which is a small country between the Ukraine and Romania. And it was part of the Soviet bloc, and it gained its freedom in the early 1990s. 
can't remember if it's 91 or 92, but it's a beautiful little country. And I thought that was really interesting and really cool because the, my kids were adopted from Poland, which was part of the former Soviet bloc of countries. So just a little tidbit of history and something really interesting. And let's get on to the topic. So last week, we talked a, a bit about how fear works. And we talked about the fact that kids who have had have experienced trauma can feel as if they are being chased by a bear all the time. And a lot of women, women deal with anxiety more than men do for some reason, but they do. A lot of women deal with a lot of anxious thoughts and anxiety, so we can have a little bit more empathy with our kiddos than sometimes the men in their lives can, coaches, fathers, teachers, whatever. So I think that it's important for us women to help the men in these kiddos' life understand a little bit more. And the best way to do that is with facts and information and science. You know, my husband and I taught a young married couples class for years, and one of the big rules when you are discussing something with your spouse is not to include the you always or you never statements. So when we're broaching the subject of this kiddo can't go to bed because he is afraid, instead of saying, you know, you never listen to me or you always think it's my fault that he won't get in bed and that sort of stuff, is to go over this kind of science stuff. You know, I talked about last week, I read to you a little bit out of how to have peace when your kids are in chaos some of the facts about fear. And fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions, read nonverbal cues and other information presented to us, reflect before acting, and act ethically, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive reactions. I think that's one of the issues that behaviorally we see in these kiddos is that impulsivity. And that's one of the things, if you are raised in a very traditionally parented home, we don't like that impulsivity. You know, we want our kids to think before they act. And when they're impulsive to the point where they do something and don't even realize they did it until after the fact, even if you're watching them. Because I've had a lot of parents tell me, you know, how do I deal with lying, which is a whole nother topic, but it's very prevalent in the impulsive child because they will stand in front of you, take a cookie off the plate, and you will say, I told you not to take that cookie. And it's already in their mouth. They've already swallowed it. I didn't take a cookie. And you're baffled. You're like, what? What? I, I saw you. I saw you take that cookie. So that impulsivity, that and, you know, you might be thinking, well, that has nothing to do with fear. Yes, it does. 
Because if you're living on that level of fear, I'm not saying that that is fear, that reaction is not fear, but when you're living in the level of fear that your body is producing too much cortisol, you're hypervigilant, you're to the point where you don't realize your own body signals, you could be so impulsive that you don't even realize what you're doing. You know, you just, you don't realize what you're doing. So those things are tied together. So I guess I kind of got off on a tangent there, but since you're, when you're parenting this child, if your spouse is the one who says, you know what, you just need to be stricter or some extended family member, we've all, you know, I've heard that you're too strict with them or you're not strict enough or, you know, blah, 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 because they don't understand the science. They don't understand what's going on in the body and the brain of the child. They don't understand that the executive function in the front of the brain where you make those logical decisions, where you think about a decision before you make it, is not working properly. So therefore, it's they can't listen, not they won't, or they can't control their impulsivity, not they won't. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, then this is hopeless. This is not going to work. It's just not going to work. It's not hopeless because what's happening is that child is in the downstairs brain. So what what that means is that's where all the simple functions that are very, very necessary for, for your body to work, you know, breathing, walking, moving, you know, they're in that downstairs part of the brain. We call it the survival mode. And in the upstairs brain, that's where it's more linear, literal, logic. We've got those things, those functions upstairs, and that's where you can reason with a child. If you've ever heard someone say, I'm sure you have, well, that particular child, you just can't reason with them. Well, you can't reason with that child, maybe, because he's not using his upstairs brain. He's all downstairs in reactionary mode. And because he has that hypervigilance, he has that fear that's ruling over every single part of his brain, and then he can't. But there are ways to get a child from the downstairs brain to the upstairs brain. And I'm probably not going to get to cover all of that this week. There's so much there. But sometimes our kids they have these neural pathways already formed because of their past. So their brains need rewired. And that doesn't mean you hold your child down and actually rewire the brain, but you rewire the brain by providing new experiences, new reactions to the way that they cope with things and that you teach them, you actually teach them how to regulate. A lot of these kids have missed that huge chunk of time of co-regulation. And what is co-regulation, which I've gone over before, but it's so important. When you bring an infant home from the hospital, you're regulating for that infant. You're wrapping them in the blanket, you're checking the time, oh my goodness, he hasn't eaten for two hours, time to feed him. You're checking all of those things and you're regulating for the child. When that child becomes a little bit older, a toddler, and then you move into a season of co-regulation. 
This is when the toddler recognizes the fact that he can open the refrigerator and he can get out a yogurt. He is beginning to co-regulate. He wants to regulate a little bit and mom and dad still have to help because this same toddler will go outside when it's 40 degrees with no shoes on. So uh, you know what? Let's look at the temperature. Look at that. It's 40 degrees. Let's put your socks and your boots on and a coat on. You're co-regulating. So then they begin to recognize, hey, I need to do this. I feel cold. I should wear a sweater. I'm hungry. I should eat a snack. They begin to, with you, co-regulate before they move into a stage of regulation, which is later in their life. And they may be teens when they begin to actually regulate for themselves. But what you will often see is a kid who has experienced trauma, who is a teenager, still needs that co-regulation. They still need that. They're full of fear and anxiety and they cannot process or they cannot regulate themselves. So therefore, they cannot move from the downstairs brain to the upstairs brain. So... Um, one of my one of my kids, he just he had a hard time processing any pain really, or anything that seemed scary to him, which is normal. That's pretty normal. And I'll just share this little story from the book. One day, when Damien had been part of the Guire family for about six months, Jerry came home from work. Jerry was in a hurry to change. And while he stood on the steps, he whisked his belt off in one quick mo movement and Damien hit the carpet and just started wailing loudly. And Jerry was really confused. He's like, you know, what is it, buddy? Which only produced more flailing and he was just out of, out of sorts. So when Damien finally calmed down, he said, Dad, I thought you were going to beat me with that. So remember, we've talked about triggers before. That belt was a trigger for him. And all that Jerry was doing was changing. Just like he was in a really hurry. He didn't want to, he didn't want to go down to his bedroom and put the, you know, change his clothes. So Jerry assured him, you know, this belt is for holding my pants up. It's not for beating people. And so that's where the rewiring has to come in. That reassurance. This is a belt. This is what it's for. It's to hold my pants up. And we don't always know everything that happens to the kiddos that come in our home through foster care or adoption. We don't know everything in their past. Just like when you're married and you marry someone and you think you know them, you don't know everything that happened to them before you got into a relationship with them. And often we'll find those triggers later in our marriage, even 20 years later or 30 years later, we'll, we'll recognize, oh, that's a trigger from his past. So that's not uncommon. But the, the wonderful, hopeful news is you can help your kiddos who are stuck in fear to rewire their brain, which I will talk more about next week when I continue this series on brain and fear. So Damien's brain needed rewiring. And one practice that helped Damien move from his downstairs brain to his upstairs brain was to let him say or yell whatever it was that he thought was happening. 
After he said it, we could usually talk to him and calm his fears. So, like I said, I will finish up um, today and next week we'll talk more about, we're going to talk about a fearful report. How can we, how we and our kiddos can get stuck in thinking the negative and retraining our brains. So thanks for joining me today on Positive Adoption and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Positive Adoption. Make sure you subscribe on thewholehouse.org to receive your gift of five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families, and receive a monthly newsletter plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube and leave a review so others can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send an email to me positiveadoption at gmail.com and follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Whole House and Twitter at Kath Guire. Thanks for listening to the show.